Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled, Abraham, the Father of Our Faith. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website, cbcsavannah.com. Father in heaven, our, our mighty God, um, let's think of the word, I just say mighty God and, and the implication of strength and power, that you are greater than sin, that you are greater than death, that you, through Christ, through his substitute, through his sacrifice and through his resurrection, have defeated death, have defeated sin, you are stronger, you are better, you are glorious. If you're not, then why are we here? but we're here because you are great and you are mighty. You have raised your son, declaring him to be the son of God in power. And so we worship him as your people. We sing to a savior who loved us, that as he demonstrated your love for us and that while we were sinners, he died for us. And so we, uh, we just now come to your word that which is perfect and true, that which is without error, that it is, it is literally breathed out by you given to us so that we may know you, so we may uh, have fellowship with you, so that we may uh, just know your thoughts and your mind and your heart. So speak to us, Lord Jesus, right now by your spirit through the chief sinner, Bill Fowler, to your people. Despite my brokenness and despite my flaws and my weaknesses as a, as a husband, as a dad, as a father, clearly as a pastor, but yet use your perfect holy word, Lord Jesus, to feed the sheep so that we are encouraged and challenged, maybe rebuked, whatever is necessary, whatever we're at right now, but that you would use your word. We believe in the power of the living and active scripture, Lord, that by your spirit, it speaks. And so speak to us now so that we may glorify our savior, Christ. It's in his name I pray, amen. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. And we are going to be today in Genesis 23. As we continue through this series on the life of Abraham. Um, and before, as you guys turn there, if you have your Bible, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. If you don't have one, there should be one in the seat in front of you somewhere. You can grab it. Genesis 23. Uh, we've been working through this, this man's life. But let me just read a different passage to you as we open, as you find, find it in your Bible. This is Isaiah 51. And, and what Isaiah is, he's a prophet who lives 800 years after Abraham. And at this point, the nation of Israel, they're all over the place. They've been in captivity. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And they're discouraged. And, and God, through his prophet, is going to encourage them. Listen to what he says. He says, listen to me. You who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. This was Israel in the Old Testament. This is us now. You who are here to seek Christ, to, to pursue righteousness, to walk with Christ, to be equipped, as we would use the language here, as we equip you to follow. You, listen. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. He says, look back at your past. Look where you came from. You want encouragement? Here, here, look what I did. Look to Abraham, your father. We've been talking about him. But look what he says next. And to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him that I might bless and multiply him. I love that Isaiah, he goes, look to Abraham. Because everyone talks about Abraham. But who's the forgotten partner here that we've, we've really kind of, we've seen pieces of her a little bit. But really, the forgotten partner is Sarah. I mean, if Abraham is the father of faith and our story is connected to him, then who's the mama of faith? It's Sarah. 
right? She's the one from who Israel was born. The promise came through her. And, and, and so I think it's fitting that we, we kind of honor her a little bit this morning and, and as, as chapter 23 kind of turns its focus a little bit on her. Because look, just like Abraham had to step out in faith, guess who else had to step out in faith? Sarah. Just as Abraham had to wait years for a promise to be fulfilled, who else had to wait? Sarah. And I think, honestly, if we're, if we're honest, whose job was harder? I mean, Sarah's got to trust God and this knucklehead who's already sold her out twice and she ended up in a harem. Her job's harder. And, and it's interesting that when the New Testament talks about Sarah, Isaiah says, look to Sarah, she's a model. Peter in the New Testament and, and, and First Peter says, hey, ladies, you want, you want an example of godliness? Look to Sarah. Look to Sarah. And so it's fitting that as chapter 23, as we open it, Sarah is the focus. And what we're gonna see as this princess, her name is princess, that's what Sarah means. This princess is gonna come to the end of her journey. Right, her race is gonna be over. Um, and we're gonna see the passing of a princess. This great mother of the faith, this great mama. But just like every great mama, She's got one more thing to say to us before her race ends. A couple more reminders. Hey, remember this, like every good mom. And so as her story ends, there's some great encouragements that I want to see this morning from the passing of this princess. For wherever you're at in your journey, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're in your 80s. Wherever you're at, some great lessons from our mama in the faith, so to speak. All right, so let's jump in, Genesis 23. And honestly, we're gonna spend the, the crux of our time in the first two verses. The rest of the chapter, you know, we're not gonna do a lot of work there because you can go ahead and do it. I'm gonna kind of give you a big picture because it's very Middle Eastern culture and very weird. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's very, and I will explain all that at the end here. But we're gonna spend most of our time in the first two and just three encouragements for us this morning for where we're at in our journey. Verse one says this. Sarah lived 127 years these were the years of the life of Sarah. Now, last week I realized that some of you like Cain get offended when I tell you to circle things in your Bible. So I'm not gonna tell you to circle anything in your Bible because that's a personal thing, fine. But I will say this, in my Bible, I circled two words in this first verse, okay? I circled lived and I circled life. Some of your Bibles, if you have the, the new, new American, I mean the new NIV or a couple of the translations, they kind of summarize it and just say Sarah was 127. But the Hebrew emphasizes two times that she lived 127 years. And these were the years of her life. And, and I want you to think about all that has been encapsulated in that Sarah lived. I mean, we say that and it's like Sarah lived. Sarah lived as 127 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. There's a lot of stuff in those two words. I mean, if she was married at the typical age in that, in that culture, she probably got married to Abraham when she was 15 years old. All right, now let's just assume she waited a couple years because she's like, I ain't sure about this cat. And so let's say she waited until she was 27. She still was married for 100 years. That's a long time. You're like, no, Lord, please. <laughs> right. 
I mean, what do you get someone after 100 years on your anniversary? <laughs> Honey, I don't know. Let's just, whatever. <laughs> right? I, that's a lot of life in Sarah lived. Think about all the tears. Think about all the laughter, all the great times, all the hard times in that word, in those two words, Sarah lived. Think about the miles walked. I mean, how many miles they got on them camels? <laughs> Wandering for, for years. How many setting up camp? How many times do we move not knowing where we're going next, where the next job's going, right? And all that in Sarah lived. How many sunsets? How many sunrises? How many days where they get up early and you can see your breath? How many days where they just said, I ain't getting out of the tent and they slept in and Sarah lived? How many birthdays? How many anniversaries? How many fights with the immediate family? Because Abraham's got his knucklehead family, right? He's got Lot. Oh, he invited Lot. Oh. How many times did they go through that and Sarah lived? Right? How many how many little fights with Abe and how many pet peeves that she had, but yet at the same time, how many things that she just thought she loved about him, how he, when he would drink goat's milk, it would drip down his beard or whatever. <laughs> how, he had, you know, how he laughed in that certain way or how he, how he did this or how he smelled after a day, whatever. All encapsulated in Sarah lived. Seeing her little boy born when she's almost... When, or her husband's 100 years old and she's 90, seeing him walk for the first time, seeing him laugh for the first time, hear, hearing him speak his first words, seeing him catch his first fish, scrape his knee for the first time, all in Sarah lived. It's loaded. It's a loaded word, two words, right? And here's the first lesson I want us to see this morning. Our lesson, first lesson from, from the passing of a princess, right? It's real simple. It's this, it's enjoy the gift of life. Because let me tell you, it is a short gift. Even if you live 127 years, which you're like, I do not want to live, I hear you. That is, in, the, in the big scheme of things, that is a vapor. And that's what scripture says, your life, you're here, you're gone. It's, it's quick. So don't miss it. It's a gift. And here's what I see we do in our culture. And I, I don't know if they did it in their culture, but here's what we do. And this is why I say don't miss it. We are always thinking about the next thing. Right? So we're like, okay, what are we going to do next week? All right, where are we going to take our vacation next summer? All right, what classes am I going to take next fall? All right, what, what are we going to do at church? What series are we going to do next? And what are we going to do? It's always next. And what are we going to do next? And what's always the next thing? And whatever season of life you're in, isn't it funny that we're always wanting to be in the next one? So when you're six, you can't wait till you're double digits, baby. And when you're double digits, you're like, I can't wait to be a teenager. And then when you're a teenager, you can't wait to drive. And then when you're driving, you're like, I can't wait to be out of the house and go to college. And then when you're in college, you're like, I can't wait to get out of college and get a job. And then when you get out of college and get a job, you're like, I can't wait to get married. And when you get married, I can't wait to have kids. And then you say, I, I had kids, I can't wait till they sleep through the night. And the next thing is, I can't wait till they, they go to school. And then and the next thing is, oh, I can't wait till they can drive themselves. And then I can't wait till they get out of the house. And then when they're out of the house, you're like, now I can't wait till they come home. It's all like, oh, we start over. I'm 65. And 
I want to be 13 again. But we're always looking for the next thing. And I'm not saying don't plan ahead. I'm not saying you shouldn't think ahead, all those things. But what I am saying is when we are doing that, we are missing this gift, these people that are right in front of you right now. And don't miss it. Because life is too short. It is too short for you to not enjoy a bike ride with your kids where you look at trees. It is too short to not go down to Tybee, get yourself a parking ticket, and enjoy the beach. <laughs> it is too short to not read a great novel, to not go to your kid's school play, to throw ball in the backyard. It's too short. It is too short to not tuck your kids in at night, to not go camping, to not jump in piles of rake leaves and go run through sprinklers. It's too short to not take the two weeks vacation that your company gives you anyway. It's too short. It's too precious. It's a gift. And if you're always thinking about, well, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to get to this? How am I? If you're always thinking about next, you're, you're going to miss the people and the ministry and everything that God has right in front of you. And it is a gift. And I get that sometimes it is hard to find joy in the midst of nasty, dirty diapers and laundry up to here and all these other things. I get it. But I can tell you, it's just a weird thing. I'm not there yet, but I think I will be. At one point, you will miss the dirty diapers. You're like, oh, that was cute. No, I'm not there. But I think I will be one day. It's just, don't, I know there's certain seasons that are hard. But enjoy where you're at. Because you're, not to be morbid, but you are not promised tomorrow. You're not. Right? So find joy. It's been well said that how you live your days is how you live your life. And I don't want at the end of my life, the theme song of my life to be Cats in the Cradle. Is that not the most depressing song ever written in the world? Oh my gracious. It's so depressing I'm going to read it because I want you to cry today. It's Mother's Day. I mean, but let's listen to this song. Listen to this song. My child arrived just the other day. He came into the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. Got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And he walked away. But his smile never dimmed and said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. Last verse. I've long since retired and my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids got the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. Sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. I mean, is that the song you want sung at your funeral? I mean, it's a vapor, y'all. And Sarah's life reminds us, and she's speaking to us from the kingdom, and from the heaven and saying, don't miss it. Don't waste your life trying to attain some un, 
unattainable standard that everyone says you have to be like and have to do. And, and so here, moms, here's what you have to do. You gotta be perfect mom with perfect figure, with perfect house, with perfect gluten-free meals for your kids and make sure they never eat mac and cheese or they are never gonna, they're never gonna live past 20. I'm telling you, I grew up on mac and cheese. You'll be fine. Do not buy into a lie where everything is perfect. The pressure is so great, especially on moms of look a certain way and act a certain way. And you know, you gotta work out six hours a day to maintain this and you gotta, it's unattainable. So chill and relax because you weren't meant to. God has given you passions. He's given you gifts. He's made you in a unique way and your family will not fall apart if your kid has to wear the same socks three days in a row. His feet will not melt. Okay, they're not. It's okay to have cereal once in a while for dinner. It is okay if they're not reading Shakespeare by seven years old. It is okay to have a sleepover and mess up the living room and watch a Star Wars marathon once in a while. And it will not ruin the destiny of your kids. But I tell you this, when they're older, I promise you this, they're not gonna remember if your socks were clean, but they will remember camping out in the living room and they will remember that Star Wars marathon and they will remember bike rides. I got to care about the meals. There's not, nor will you, right? So enjoy the gift, whatever season you are in right now. If you're single, look, singles, there is undue pressure on y'all and some of y'all are guilty of this. It's not me. But some of y'all are guilty. You're trying to pressure these singles that they need to be married by the time they're 24. Otherwise, there's something wrong with them. Stop. All right? If you are single, understand this. Singleness is a gift, just like marriage is. They're both a gift. And, and enjoy your singleness. And if God wants you to get married, then one day you're gonna get married. And next week, just so you know, singles, you can invite all your friends. We're gonna talk about how to find a spouse. That's next chapter, 24, read ahead. Now don't follow it because he never meets his wife until the wedding day. I'm not saying that's the way to do it. But there's some principles there that we're gonna get. But here's the encouragement. Isaac doesn't get married till he's 40. So if you're like, oh, I'm 29, I'm not married. You're not broken. Enjoy your singleness. It's a gift. You can do things that, that married people can't. You can go to the late show, 1130, and no one cares. You can play ultimate Frisbee all Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning. You can do it. And you walk the next day probably too because you're young. It is a season that is good. Just be grateful for it. Be thankful. And if God brings a spouse, awesome. It's another gift, right? But enjoy where you're at, where God has you. If there's conflict that's unresolved in your family and your whatever, and it's like 10 years old and it's because someone did something at the reunion or someone stole the inheritance or all this, look, life is too short for you to hold that grudge. You do not want that person to go to their grave and you haven't reconciled because you will remember that forever. I don't care if they hit you in the head with a football. You, as far as it's up to you, it's too short for you not to go and try to make peace. And if, if they won't, that's on them. But at least, at least you have made every effort, right? Grandparents, I know the grandkids live in Cleveland and it's Cleveland, but it's worth going to Cleveland to see the grandkids, to see them play t-ball. I promise you, those kids, when they're 25, they're gonna say, I remember when grandpa came to, to, to watch me play t-ball. I remember 
right? Life is short. And what I want us to get is don't miss what's right in front of you. The ministry, the life, the joy, even in the midst of this season, because you're thinking about what's next. Because how you live your days is how you live your life. Don't be always putting it off. You know, your young couple, oh, we'll have kids when we can afford it. Really? When's that? You'll afford it because you have to feed the kid or you go to jail. That's the way it works. Okay, so you'll be fine. Don't, oh, when we're ready. No one's ready to get woken up every two hours and change diapers. No one's ready for that. No one invites that to their lives. You will never be ready, but it's okay. You'll get ready. Some, something that God has given you a passion for, he's given you gifts to do. And you, oh, I don't know, I'll do that when I'm, uh, why wait? If God is calling you to do something, do it now. Don't put it off. You're not promised tomorrow. Vapor. And if Sarah would say if she was here from heaven, she'd say, hey, life is short, 127 years. It's a vapor. It was gone before I knew it. Enjoy what God has given the gift of life right now, right? God is good and life is good. That's the first thing. But then, just like all of us, Sarah dies. Verse two, Sarah died at Kiriath Arba. And that's a place we, you know, we don't, the name of it, we were like, where's that? So he helps us out, Moses. That's Hebron. It was renamed Hebron. Hebron has a great history in Israel's history. David was there and ruling and a lot of stuff took place in Hebron. So it becomes a great place in the future. But Sarah dies in this place in Canaan and Abraham, Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and he wept for her. Now this is significant because this is the first time in the Bible that we see Abraham weeping. He is mourning. And it's not the first thing that's been hard for him. He had to leave his home of almost 80 years. That's hard. His daddy died. That's hard. He had to send away his oldest son, Ishmael. That was hard. He was told to kill his, his, his uh, Isaac, this child of promise. That's hard. But in none of those places does it record that he ever cried. When his beloved Sarah, when his princess, when this woman who he spent a hundred plus years with dies, he mourns and he weeps. He, he, he grieves the loss of this precious princess. And here's the second lesson, second encouragement from Sarah. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve. It's okay, guys, gals, to not be okay sometimes. And I, and I know there's a pressure to put on the happy Christian face or just the kind of stoic, I'm a Christian and that's the way it is and nothing bothers me, the Darth Vader face. That is not Christian. In fact, scripture affirms the fact that there is a time, there is a season for all things. And one of the things that there is a season for is grieving. It is mourning. And I know we have the, you know, these guys running around and they usually have just enough scripture under their belt to be dangerous. And they're like, oh, God works all things together for good. Praise the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's the guy that you want to punch. Yes, rejoice in the Lord now, brother. Right? It's, it's silly to think that it's unchristian or a lack of faith for that matter to mourn. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. So there's clearly a time. Jesus himself, when his, when his buddy Lazarus dies, and he knows he's going to raise him from the dead in like 13 minutes. He mourns. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus weeps. 
Why? Because he sees the effect of sin and death. He sees Mary and Martha, these precious women who he loves, weeping at the loss of their brother. And Jesus grieves with them. So there is certainly a time to mourn. And when we try to get people to just move on and not mourn and and be spiritual, we're not really asking them to be Christian. We're actually asking them to be Buddhist. Because what Buddhism teaches is we're supposed to just separate and detach from everything and that is spiritual. And the spiritual person is the one who detaches from everything so that there is no pain. That is not Christian. There are things that are worthy of grieving and people made in the image of God where the blood of Christ is shed for them, they are worthy of being attached to and they are worthy of grieving. There's a time to mourn. It's okay. The difference for us is this. This is the great thing for us as Christians. Our mourning and our grieving is informed by what? By hope. And so Paul, when he says to the Thessalonians, we'll see this in the fall because we're gonna be there. He says, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. I want you to know that yes, we are gonna grieve, but this grief has got hope. There's a longing side to hope. Without hope, grieving turns to despair of hopelessness, right? And so I illustrate it this way. Hunters, and some of you are hunters, and so you get this, and others you're like, I think you guys are crazy for going out and sitting in the cold and in the rain and in the dark. Yes, they would be. And, and what, what empowers a hunter to get up early and sit in the cold and shiver in the rain and, and the dark is this. He knows that in 18 minutes, something is gonna be dramatically different. The sun is going to come up. Now, if it didn't come up, that is despair. And that is stupidity. But because he knows the sun is coming, everything is dramatically different. That is hope. For the Christian, we say, I'm not always happy because this hurts, but the sun is coming. And when he does, I have entrusted myself to a faithful creator, Peter says, in doing what is right. He will fix this, even though this hurts. That's the difference between grieving with hope and without hope. I know that this will be different one day. I will see that person again that Jesus will be just. And, and what we need to do is, as Christians is learn to grieve as Christians, right? We need to grieve well because if we're, and you're like, I don't wanna grieve. I don't like grief. I don't wanna, look, it's part of the deal. Sorry. If you got married, one day, one of you, you're gonna be a widow unless the plane goes down. And I hope that doesn't happen to me. I'd rather, you know, I don't wanna go on the plane down. I wanna go second because I wanna take care of my wife. I don't want her to have to be without me. But the reality is one of us is gonna be left alone, probably. And your parents will one day be gone. Some of you are there now. My mama lost her mama last year. The house is closing, the, house, the finality of selling her house and all that, that's the reality. I mean, we have 800 adults in this church-ish, which means there's 1,600 parents, Right? Some have gone and some are still here and some, you know, remarried, whatever. So you got 1,600 parents, 800 adults. That means the generation behind us, behind me, my kids, they're going to at some point in their life see 24, 2,500 people going. They're going to bury 25, 26, 2,700, who knows, people as we grow. That's a lot of grief. 
And, and when we plant, we start a church, when we plant a church, you don't think about that. We're like, we're just trying to get people to come to the Johnny Harris banquet hall. We're not thinking that this thing might stick and it might grow. And eventually we might hang out with each other for 30, 40, 50 years. And eventually we're gonna have to say goodbye to some people. It's a lot of grieving. So we gotta learn as Christians to grieve and grieve with hope because the world's watching how we grieve. They just are. Just some thoughts on grief real quick. Number one, don't try to insulate yourself from it. We got a culture that doesn't wanna talk about it. We are the anti-aging this and anti this. We don't talk about grieving and thus we're not prepared for it. And we need to start learning to grieve the little things. Because if, look, if you can't grieve little things, how are you gonna grieve big things? Right? And, and young parents, God bless you, you're the worst. Because you have this, this control idol that you cannot fathom anything horrible happening in your home. So the thought of your kid getting cut from the t-ball team, the thought of your kid failing a test, the thought of your kid falling off a skateboard and ending up in the ER is unthinkable to you. And if that is the case, you're gonna have a real hard time in life because this is broken. And someone's gonna end up in the ER. That's why we have hospitals. It's gonna happen. He's going to get a tooth knocked out. He's going to fail a test. Going to get broken hearted by some 17-year-old punk. Those, if you can't imagine that, I'm telling you, don't try to insulate yourself from that. Gre- learn to grieve the little things. We had grief in our house this week. It was horrible. Two fish in one week. I'm miserable, man. I'm tell- and we've lost fish before. I don't know what the difference was. I mean, we had a fish for like two and a half years put it in the backyard. It was great. Dog dug it up. Not great. But, but this week we got a, I mean, literally all, I bought the fish last Sunday. Fish number two, one went down Tuesday. Fish number two last night. It was a hard week. We got a little graveyard in the back now, a little cross. Last night in flip-flops at 1030, I'm digging a grave. But here's why. What would be easy, the easy thing would be this. The easy thing would be, it's okay, buddy. I'm going to take it to the vet and it'll be all better. And I go to the vet, AKA PetSmart and get another one and put it back in there and be like, yeah, he's fixed. Look at him. Why has he got five stripes now instead of, oh, they they added one. (laughs) See, that is insulating from grief. That is insulating from true pain. And so what we're teaching my little boy is, look, sometimes bad things happen and it's hard. And here we are and we're with you. But if I can't, look, if you can't grieve a fish, if you can't grieve an injury so that your soccer season's out or your basketball season's done, or you can't lose a loss of a job, grieve a loss of a job, how are you gonna grieve the really big things when my parents die or my spouse? We we gotta start to learn to grieve the little things so so that we as a culture can grieve well the big things. Second thing is this, grieving takes time, so don't rush it. And especially don't rush it with other people because you have no clue where they're at. And you might be like, well, it's been two months. What in the world? You know, there's different people say different things about how long grieving takes. There's no answer. In fact, some things you just never will get over. Just won't, not until Jesus comes back. And that's, that's okay. But we know for certain that the first year of all years is shot. Right, because that, the first year you gotta do the first Christmas, you gotta do the first Thanksgiving, it's the first 4th of July, and we used to do all this thing on the 4th of July, and he used to blow up things, and it was great. And then at the end, of the, we used to go to the first Georgia game together, and now he's not there. And it's the, it's the first Mother's Day today without mom. The first year's toast. 
And, and, and my point is, it's okay. It is okay to not be okay and to grieve and to mourn because people are worth it. You're like, I just can't get out of my head. You're not supposed to. She's not supposed to get out of your head. All right, we're not created that way. We're created to connect. Created to know. Right? And so be patient. We're going to see next week. Isaac, three years later, is still grieving his mama. Three years. He's still thinking about it. I mean, you, all you have to do today is go on Facebook, y'all, and see that there's people that are grieving. I'm just telling you. Wish mama was here. I miss my mama. It's okay. But the last thing is this, and this is most important for us, is that we need to be a church that moves towards people. Romans 12, that we are the body, that we are one. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Ephesians 4. We are a body. And a body, when the body weeps, we weep. When we, when we mourn, we mourn. When we celebrate, we celebrate. And we need to be good at this because we're not. What you hear from people who are grieving is that they think people are avoiding them and they are because those people do not know what to say. And they don't know, what, if I run into them, what do I say? And how do I help them? How do I fix them? You cannot fix it. There's nothing you could say. So don't worry about what to say. Just be there. That's what they need is they need you. They don't need you to fix it. They need you to not be scared of them. Don't, we cannot be the church that avoid, oh, I heard they might have cancer. Will you stay away because you don't know what to say? Is that the solution? They just lost their mom and you're going to stay, oh, I don't know what to say because I've never lost. No. You move towards the person. We need to be a church that does that. Right? That's, and this is why I'm gonna, we're going to keep hammering this. This is why community is so vital, y'all. It's just so important that you have relationships where you know people. And this is why we have community groups to facilitate that. Because if, if some of you tomorrow, if something tragic happened, the more tragic thing is that you would have nobody to call but the office. And the first call shouldn't be the office. It should be those four people that know you well. And let me tell you, I saw this happen in a beautiful way this week. When I had the privilege of preaching Miss Betty, our, one of our oldest members, funeral from this stage on Monday. And we honored her and we worshiped Christ. And at the end of this ceremony, her community group, the men in her community group, carried her body out. It's an 85-year-old woman in a community group. All right, you're like, that's for young people. Not according to Miss Betty. She's in a community group and her pallbearers were her community group and they were weeping. Let me tell you, I've seen some cool things in the last nine years since we planted this church. That was probably the coolest and the best thing I have seen take place in this. I was, I was never more proud of our church than in that moment. I don't care about buildings. I don't care about numbers. I don't care about budgets. To see eight men carry out their sister weeping and the body functioning the way, that is what a church is. Church is not some big group of people that get together. It was that. That's where we need to be. And that's hard because that takes you opening yourself up so people see you in a most vulnerable way. Yes, I get it. That is called the people of God. That is church. It's not a service. It's not this. It's the people of God caring for each other, loving each other. And that's what I want. I, I want people who love me, not singing Cats in the Cradle on the way out the door. I want them singing Glorious Day like we were doing for Miss Betty. I want people who love me carrying me out. 
I want people there with my wife and my kids. Don't, don't you? Right? So we need to be moving towards people. And, and it's opportunities for you to get, in, get to know people here at the church if you, just, if you want them. You just gotta take that opportunity. So two lessons quick, passing of a princess. Life's short, enjoy it. There's times of mourning. They stink, but you know what? Something's coming. And here's the last point. And this is the last, this is the rest of the chapter. And I'm gonna encourage you, go read it. And you're gonna be like, oh, that is kind of weird. Here's the big picture what happens. Abraham needs to bury his wife, right? He needs to bury his wife, but he doesn't have, he doesn't own any land. Here's a guy who's been in the land 60 years. He owns a lot of cows and a lot of people. He owns, he owns no land. So he goes to the Hittites and says, hey, can I, can I buy a grave? Can I buy this cave for you? And they're like, no, 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 you just borrow it. And he's like, no, no, I, I don't wanna borrow it. I wanna buy it. And then the guy who owns the field, he's like, well, you know, what's, what, I'm not gonna let you buy it. I'm just gonna give it to you. Although it is worth like 400 shekels. It's a very Middle Eastern culture way of negotiating where this guy names the price first. And now, because he's named the price first and it's way high, Abraham doesn't have any negotiating ability because he looks like a jerk if he doesn't pay the land because the guy says, well, I'll give it to you, but it's worth this. So he's kind of like the haggling is done, but Abraham buys the land. He buys a cave and a field and then he makes it legal. They do the legal deal of the day. That, that's kind of what's going on. So if you're confusing, confused, it's, it's very cultural. But here's, here's the question we've got to ask. Why does Moses spend two verses on the mother of the faithful, basically, and the rest of the time on the legal purchase of this land and how it was a legal transaction? Because it reads like law school. It's like, why did he put this in there? I want to hear more about Sarah. I don't really care about the haggling and all this stuff. It just seems weird, Moses. Why would you put all that in there? What's the big deal? Well, to the original audience, it is a huge deal. Because the original audience, those Jews wandering around the wilderness, it is, it is for them the start of the fulfillment of, of God's promise that they are given this land. For all these years, Abraham has no land. And he's loaded. Verse 6, they say, they say you are a prince of God among us. You're richer than most of our kings, but you don't even have land. And so him purchasing the land, it starts the legal claim of what God had promised anyway, that all the land is going to be theirs anyway. And instead of Abraham doing what would be normal in that culture of going back home to Ur of the Chaldees where everyone else is buried and the mamas are buried and all the aunts and uncles, they're all buried back there. Instead of Abraham doing what is culturally normal, he says, no, 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 this is our home. This is the land that God has given us. I am staking our claim in Canaan because God promised us Canaan. And so he buys the land. But yet this is the only land he ever owns. He never gets anything else. In fact, none of the Hebrews do. Until they come back 500 years later and conquer it, they don't actually own anything but this piece of land still. And what you see is sometimes God promises something, but you don't even ever really see the ultimate fulfillment. We've seen that a ton so far, right? Hebrews highlights this when it talks about the Hall of Fame of Faith. It says, these all died in faith, not having received things promised. They don't even actually see the ultimate fulfillment. I mean, he gets Isaac, but that's about it. And he gets a little bit of land and that's about it. They don't see the, the huge fulfillment at the end, right? Because they, they were strangers and aliens. And, and here's the similarity. Here's what I want you to see for us. Abraham starts to see the fulfillment of the promise. How? When someone dies. It takes a death for him to start seeing the fulfillment of God's promises, right? How is that 
relate to us? Where do we ultimately start to see the full fulfillment of God's promises? It's not in our life. It's in our death. I mean, when do we experience freedom from sin? When do we experience being in the, in the physical presence of Christ? When do we experience joy eternal? It's not here. It's actually when we die, which is what the writer of Hebrews says is they desired a better country, a heavenly one. That's why Abraham and all these guys believed because their, their heart wasn't here. It was there. It was in the future. And so here's the final encouragement from Sarah. For you, for us, for me, is that for the Christian, the best is yet to come. As good as life can be and as hard, whatever you're at, this is as bad as it will ever be. Do you, do you understand that? You're like, I just graduated college and everything's good. I'm getting married in the fall. It's a great time in my life. This is as bad as it'll ever be. The best is coming. And it, the irony of that whole deal, how do we get to that point unless Jesus comes back? You gotta die. It's kind of, that's kind of scary, right? I got to die to get God's best, right? But that, that, that's, what, that's what the New Testament teaches. That's what, you know, Bunyan, when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he got this so well. If you read the Pilgrim's Progress and, and Pilgrim's fighting through all these things and, and he gets to the end and he can see the celestial city across, across this river, but he can't get across the river. It's called the river of death. And they say, you, you got to go through it to get to the city. And so what does he do? Him and Hopeful, they work their way through and they're kind of going underwater and everything and they finally get across and they look at themselves and their old nasty dirty rags are gone. And they, and they are clothed with, with gold and these two angels welcome into the celestial city, but they had to go through the river, river of death. To get the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises, this body, it's gotta go away. Even as, as good as it looks after yesterday's game, I know. I can barely stand today up here. But Paul says this. He says, this perishable body, the one you got on right now, it's, it's, it's got to put on imperishable. It's got to. This mortal body must put on immortality. It's got to. For when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass this saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your, I mean, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You notice these are questions that we were gonna be asking one day of death. These are mocking questions. Did you get that? It, it's, it's like, the, it's Paul, if he wrote it today, he'd be saying that na, 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 hey, hey, goodbye. You know, at the end of the game, when you're kicking someone's tail, you're like, ah, get out of here. It's mocking. That's what Paul says we're gonna do to death. Where are you at now, death? You were so big and bad and powerful before. You ever go against a team or your kids go against a team or maybe you're in high school and this bigger team, they're all scared. You're like, oh, I mean, we're gonna get killed. Look how big and strong they are. Last summer, my, my daughter, we were at the, the big national tournament for volleyball and we were playing this team from Puerto Rico and they were like Goliaths. They were Puerto Rican Goliaths. It was like, they were just all six feet two. They were I was like, we're gonna get killed. We are going, my daughter, she has my genetics. All right, so she's 5'1", will be tall for her. And so we're, we got these little girls and we're going against these giants. We're, they're gonna be over quick. And an amazing thing happens. We beat them. It was a miracle. <laughs> and at the end of the game, what are we doing? All the parents. Where are you at now, Puerto Rico? <laughs> Where are you at? A little Savannah, you mess with Savannah. That, that, that's, that's what we will be doing 
when, this, when, when, when we die. Where are you at now, death? You big, bad, tough thing before. Where are you at now? Where's your sting now? The sting is here. The sting is when Miss Betty is sitting in a coffin in front of me right here. That is sting. But the hope says that's not gonna be eternal because the best is yet to come. The best for the believer is yet to come. And so this is why we, we said from the beginning, Abraham and Sarah's story, it parallels ours. How do we get the best? We gotta die, but that's okay. Because Jesus rose from the dead. What's, guess what? He will raise you from the dead too. Guaranteed. Now, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we're, we're in trouble. That's why the resurrection means everything for us. But he did. And we stake our hope on that. And here's where I wanna close. Close with this. This is really cool. This is why the Bible is amazing, y'all. And if you don't get and grasp how awesome it is, it's, you couldn't make it up. It's, 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 it's God breathed. Abraham stakes his claim, stakes the, on, his, on the promise of what? How does he do it? With the, with the purchasing of a tomb. Everything, the promise of God is resting on this, this he buys a tomb. That's where he's staking his claim. Where do we stake our claim on the promises of God? It's on a tomb. But the difference is this. Our tomb wasn't bought. It was just borrowed for three days. Everything rests on that tomb. If that tomb has a body in it, we are lost. If that tomb is empty, we have hope. This is why if you're a non-Christian today, let me just tell you this. You wanna know what's Christianity about? Christianity is about this. We were sinners separated from God. God left heaven, became a man, died on a cross and he rose again. And when we put our faith in his substitute, taking our place and his resurrection, we are given hope that God promises that he will do the same thing for us that he did to Jesus. It's our, everything rests in the resurrection. The empty tomb, right? It's always been about that. That's it, it, all of our hope. Abraham, he's, he's still buried in this place in Palestine. You can go there today if you can get in. Him, Jacob, Sarah, Isaac, they're all in that tomb, right? Staking the claim. Our tomb's empty. Our God sacrifices himself for us and raises from the dead. And let me tell you this, and we'll close with this. This is the kind of God you can trust. The kind of God who enters into suffering for us. You think, well, no one knows my suffering. Jesus knows your grief because he had to grieve. And the father knows what grief is because the father crushes and kills his own son. So both the father and the son know grief. That is the kind of God that I wanna put my trust in. The kind of God who enters into my existence and understands my grief and sorrow and yet gives me hope. That's the kind of God I wanna put my faith in. I don't know about you. Right, that's the God we worship. That's the God we can love. That's the God we can stand on. If Sarah was here today and she's alive and well, trust me, she's with her hubby, she's with Isaac, she's with her grandkids, she's with all, all the saints of old. Here's what Sarah would tell you. Y'all, life is short. It's quick. Don't waste it. Don't waste it looking for the next thing when you're missing in front. There is times to mourn, but we mourn with hope. And this is as bad as it gets and that is as good as it gets. The best, y'all, is yet to come. Let's worship and let's sing and praise our God. Father, I uh, thank you for moms. I thank you for just a few lessons from Sarah, this mother of the faith, so to speak, who, man, she stepped out in faith. I mean, she didn't even have a Bible. She doesn't have Genesis and Psalms and Gospels and Ephesians. She just has... The, the word of her husband, uh, you spoke to her and she steps out in amazing faith. Uh, 
and she lives a life of faith, even though there's ups and downs. And so I just pray for us that we, uh, living this side, would look to the rock from which we are hewn, so to speak, as, as Isaiah promises and tells us, that we would look for encouragement to Abraham and Sarah. Look what you did with just one person, one little family. They'll be encouraged by your grace, that we would enjoy the life we've been given now, that we would mourn with those who mourn in a way that demonstrates hope, and that ultimately we would recognize the best for Christians is yet to come. It's in Christ's name I pray. Why don't you stand and we'll sing.